what took you to channel your emotions right now on a platform that's otherwise associated with other things? It's a difficult question, and thank you for, for asking it. And the, the idea is that, you know, I had waited maybe more than a week to, to do a video, and to a lot of folks, it felt like, why aren't you saying anything? But there was a bit of a dilemma there in that, on the one hand, uh, I don't think that some of the folks who are on Instagram, myself included, necessarily should be looked at for to be a voice if they don't have the expertise or maybe it's like if they don't deliver it in a certain way, that's one. In the second one, I was noticing that from a lot of the people I know, that they were surprised and disappointed and shocked that their friends who they thought were, let's say, would have been pro-Palestinian turned out to, to not be. And mm. there, there was a bit of a common factor to all of this in that, especially their friends talking in the U.S. or in Anglophone countries, uh, they were using language where if someone is not already... Um, if they don't know where they are, if they're, or if it's kind of like uh, they're not uncertain, they would reject that message right away because of the certain language that was used. So I wanted to put it in a way where it's kind of like, I want to remove any language that we'd be considered triggering. Mm. And, but without, again, it's kind of like just have the principles, but without using language that I would not, want to use or I would not want to hear if someone was on the opposite side. And to be more specific, there's been a tendency in the past few years in that anything that's related to what's called social justice that comes from the U.S. or Anglophone countries, the language is academic in the negative sense of the word, in that it feels a little bit, uh, how to say, exclusive as opposed to inclusive. As in, if you want to start your conversation by calling people, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, the, the, the racism, the colonizer, these kind of words, you know, this, uh, th these kind of, these words, if someone is on the other side, automatically they're not listening to you. And if someone doesn't want to listen to you, then what is the point of us talking altogether? In the end, we will end up just sharing messages among people who agree with each other. And what, what's the... Sometimes we do it because we're angry and it's kind of like, look what's going on, which is fine. But if you want to have a conversation with someone that doesn't necessarily agree with you, you have to use a different language. And that different language is not, didn't come from, like I, right now I'm speaking in English right now, right? But the rhetoric that I use is not necessarily that of the English language. And if I, I just want to elaborate a little bit more is that every language has its own rhetoric as in rhetoric i'm talking about the original meaning of the word as in like the art of uh, uh discourse and how you might convince someone right so for semitic languages specifically for arabic you know we talk about alm al-balagha which is like how you talk with someone one of them like one part of it is alm al-ma'ani which is what what sin what words you want to use what, what are the semantics that you want to use and you want to target them for the audience that you hope will listen to you. So for that, I, I, in my mind, I was like, okay, let me simplify the language for someone who doesn't necessarily agree with me. 
while at the same time having, okay, these are my principles and listen to them from the point of these are my principles, but I understand where you're coming from. Kind of like that. I don't know if yeah. I oversimplified it or overcomplicated it. I'm not sure. Actually, it's almost like I want to hear you just keep talking because you're taking me places naturally. Okay. And I think okay. you did two Sorry. things that I, that I enjoy, which is you avoided audience capture, which is difficult, meaning you were willing to maybe trigger, if I could use that word, a segment that may not agree with what you're yes. saying. So you're, and I, that is a very important thing to do. You're also abiding by principles naturally, yes. but you're also expressing what you see, which I think is fundamental. Even if you don't agree, you're giving benefit of the doubt to the other narrative. Absolutely. And then step-by-step step debunking, which are more myths than facts. Now you did this in five minutes and you took, you did something which I think is, is difficult. You tried to, you tried to talk about fundamentals, liberty, freedom, independence, agency, words that I think are kind of put aside when there's hysteria, emotion, and anger. You almost, it's almost like you were giving moderation a chance on social media. And I think that's a good thing, not a bad thing. It's trying to rectify, but like you said already, don't negotiate your principles. Yes. I think you found a way to do it, which is not easy. Thank you. I, I, I honestly didn't think of it kind of like how to say. It, it turned out to be because I got asked this question was like, oh, you did it and it wasn't. But in my mind, it wasn't like that. In my mind, it was very, you know, just reduce any of the unnecessary and build up on that. And uh, me mentioning, you know, the U.S. Declaration of Independence, it wasn't pandering to the Americans. It was yeah, because it yeah. was really kind of like, these are beautiful principles, theoretically, you know, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. How, how about we just start from there? So that, that, yeah. what was, what, that was what was going on in my mind. Now, anyone who hasn't seen the video, I think it was released. I, I saw it on Friday. I don't remember if it came out Thursday or Friday. But it's just a few days ago. You just have to scroll back a bit. It's there. Um, I'd like to take what's happening now and go back in time a bit. But it also relates geographically. You're living in Ireland. In I am. Okay. I'm stuck here in Beirut sweating my ass off. I'm guessing in Dublin you're not sweating right now. It's probably lovely outside. It's probably the right time of the year. It's really raining heavily, but I don't mind. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Me, me neither. Sarah, me neither. I, I've been to Dublin. I actually spent, this is roughly 20 years ago, I spent several months in Northern Ireland, in Belfast. And I guess, aside from this part of the world, it's probably, the, it was so striking that the Palestinian-Israeli conflict is displayed so much in the remote geography of Northern Ireland. But, not in a artistic only way, it's politics. There's a lot of residents and, and also it's both sides. You will see a very, you'll see a beautiful mural. You will see something that's maybe somewhere between Sinn Féin and the IRA dancing between and then a giant Palestinian flag. Around the bend, Israeli flags. On the street, Israeli graffiti, Israeli messaging. So I thought that was stark 
thing. And that was a bit, it caught me off guard. I didn't know if that's severe. I'd like to know your experiences there because you live in Dublin. Yes. And I'm sure you're at work, friends, you're probably talking about this issue all the time. So your own relationship being in Dublin to what's happening right now. Uh, yes, thank you for that. So in here, as, as you mentioned, it's, it's important to divide uh, the issue, let's say, between Ireland and Northern Ireland. So in Northern Ireland, as you said, you might see the opposite. You might see Israeli flags and stuff like that. In Ireland, you won't see that in Dublin. But why, why is that? Is that, uh, I, I've said that before, is that Ireland is, to me, feels like the most pro-Palestinian country on earth. <laughs> on earth, that includes all the Arab countries combined, yeah. right? Yeah. But wh why is that? So uh, Ireland, as a country, you know, they got their independence not long ago. Like we're talking, you know, 19, around 1916, that's when they had the big Easter uprising against the, the British Empire and all that. But behind that, there is a history of 800 years where they suffered unbelievable uh, atrocities, be it, you know, like loss of population. Let, let, me, let me just a small, uh, you know, break here and to say that only last year did Ireland's population regain what it was before the famine. The famine in the oh, 18 numbers. In numbers. Oh, because wow. it was kind of like about 5 million because they lost God knows how many of the population, you know, a lot. Uh, a lot of them had passed away, but then a lot of them had to emigrate to feed their families and all that. And it wasn't until last year or maybe the year before that that it went back to what it was. So there's this history of having suffered all of this at the hands of the British Empire. On top of it, you know, Ireland is not historically an English-speaking country, yet here we are, we all speak English. That's because their native language, Irish or Guelga, got decimated by enforcing all of these, you know, the English language and all of that, right? So you'll see that the Irish people, uh, <laughs> they identify a lot with oppressed people around the world, right? So, and I, I don't it's know, not I, just the Palestinian <laughs> cause. Yeah, I, I got I got choked up for some reason. So uh, you're yeah, doing much better they, than me. I think I've lost my voice. I'm I'm now. Yeah searching for whatever's left in it. No, you're doing just fine. Yeah. So they identify with that. So when I say it's kind of like in here, they identify with the Palestinian cause because they see as these are people who have lost their lands. They are losing their culture bit by bit, you know, not culture as in, you know, in the sense, but in any case, on the other hand, uh, and apologies because I'm going to talk sectarianism just a little bit because I'm going to talk a little bit about Northern Ireland is that even though uh, the uh, struggle over there in the north is between Catholic and Protestant, but we all know that it's a little bit more than that, the way, the same way how it was in Lebanon, yeah. you know, between Christian and Muslims. Yeah, yeah. But over there, you'll see that the Catholics who would mostly identify as Irish would be pro-Palestinian. And a lot of the people who would be Protestant and a lot of them identify as British as opposed to Irish, they would... I honestly don't know if they support Israel because they support Israel 
or just to be opposed to the Catholics. That's what said. Actually, I'm glad you said this. This is going back 20 years ago. It didn't feel like it's an authentic yeah. uh, celebration. It really felt, and this not to be so stupid, but I'm sorry. It felt like a rejection of Bono sometimes. Yeah. You would hear U2 playing well, in the more pro-Palestinian, yeah. politically charged bars. Yeah. And then you'd have an Israeli flag across the street. It felt more rejection. Yeah. Not, not Although just a small note yes. here is that a lot of people uh, in Ireland, not the north, like in Ireland, uh, aren't too big fans of Bono. But that's for different reasons. <laughs> yeah. For other reasons, yeah. This transcends uh, politics. <laughs> that's well said. But, but you know what you're describing to me reminds me a bit about this connectivity where you have the Palestinian cause being discussed in the alleys, in the bars, in the, in the cafes of, of Belfast. And maybe, and I, I don't want to, I want to be careful when I say this, maybe it's sometimes, sometimes false association, meaning latching on because it feels right, but maybe it's not really the same exact story. It may parallel. And I always felt that there was maybe something wrong there, or it could be delivered wrong. In other words, maybe they should better understand what's happening before they go full on uh, in. And this uh, is where I, and I, I'll, say it, I'll say it in a way that I hope makes sense. This is 20 years ago. When I was there, there were still bombings in, in Belfast. So things are improving, but it's delicate still. And maybe the IRA and Hamas, it's too quick for people to say common cause. You know, I identify fully, and that group is me. I am that group. Almost felt too emotionally charged sometimes. That that that's yeah. I I, I do I do agree that that way is that the details weren't. I uh, said there weren't a lot of getting into the details, but more on the matter of principles. Right. Exactly. And, yeah. But but as you mentioned that, by the way, I got into a little bit of trouble when I moved here, just initially, in that. I didn't know a lot about the IRA. I knew about Ireland, but not a lot. But when I learned more about them, and apologies to anyone listening, I'm not trying to trigger anybody or anything, but uh, my first reaction when I heard about them was like, oh my God, they're awesome. And uh, let me explain why I said that. Because I learned that, like, you know, they would set up bombs, and but then they would call people to warn them in advance. And in my mind, we never had that in Lebanon. It's kind of like, why did any, like, we never had... And apologies, I know I'm talking like this is a, a very sensitive subject to you. I just realized right now. Uh, no, don't, don't worry about worry. that. Yeah. Fadi, can you own, can you own. Yeah. You should even, I mean, you should hear the other conversations I had. Yeah. No, no, on the contrary. Yeah, on so contrary. initially in my mind, I was like, oh my God, they warn people so that people would get out and it's only like material damage. But then you realize it's like, no, you can't say stuff like that because there were casualties and all that. But it's kind of like, it's all relative. When you've seen the worst, you look at someone, it's like, oh my God, they're so good. But then you learn. So this, which I think it's kind of what you do. It's your craft and that you find something that's fairly complex and then you reduce it to its basics. You do this with the Arabic language. You do it with Lebanese dialects. You do it, I think you did it even in photography. I think there's a way of reducing and simplifying and making things easier. And in my opinion, oftentimes better, at least for the audience to understand. I think 
you're trying, this is my way of understanding you, you're trying to do that the way you understand conflict. Yes. Right. And that's not something that's, you're not, you, you grew up here. I mean, you, you, you know the Lebanese story as much as anyone who grew up in this generation. Yes. And I know a bit about your life growing up, not enough, but I know that you, can, you, you brushed with death being in Lebanon and you have some intimacy when it comes to how to, how to find a better way forward through conflict. I think I sense this is what you're doing now with social media, but I'll, I'll let you talk here. I don't want to, I don't want to. No, no, you're, no, 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 you're, you're doing great. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, as you describe it, it's kind of like, you know, we, we both grew up in Lebanon. Um, like you, conflict is baked into you. Yeah. It's like, it's part of, you know, it's part of us. Yeah. And in the end, uh, I maybe there is a reason why you know the consequences of having been lived in conflict and all that only started to show when I left Lebanon, not when I was in Lebanon, because you know when people talk about uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, there's the post that's important. It's post. <laughs> right. So yeah. when you see, and it's kind of like there is some anger and rage inside you that is kind of like you cannot continue living like this this is not right like you can't do it so it's gonna and at the at the same time you start thinking it's gonna like of all the conflict between people from different religions back home or people within the same religions uh different you know um political parties and all that and you think it's kind of like this is not this is not sustainable so you kind of build yourself an imaginary world where uh, let's say this conflict didn't exist or how would I contribute in a smallest way to removal of this, this conflict? Again, I'm not saying like this is not being conciliatory where it's kind of like I have no principles, I don't want to be, you know, it's not about that, but it's just trying, it's kind of like can we find at least, at least a little bit of common ground between people on things and, you know, try to bring them together? So in my mind, this is what I like to do. So when it's kind of like when talking about languages, when talking about anything, it's kind of like, okay, what, what can be common to us? So when I talk about, you know, some aspect in the language, it's kind of like, look, it exists in Arabic, it exists in Hebrew, it exists in English, yes. in French. We all have it. There was a point when we were all humans who were, well, you know, we were killing each other, uh, each other over cows or lands. But it wasn't matters of, the modern conflicts that we have. So can we go, so anyway, that's what comes to mind. So I, I, maybe I'll try to see if there's any reflection on what you, what you do generally by finding these root words that are, they're usually, they transcend Semitic languages, even occasionally surprising. I, I, I the name, the word escapes me now. There was one word I thought you delivered really brilliantly. You're like, this is, you, you'd think this would be Levantine and Phoenician, but it's Egyptian. And you would think this would be Turkish, but it's Arabic. You find it's almost like making us realize we're more connected than we appreciate in our history. And then you see what's happening right now on social media. Yeah. Have you sensed any of that engagement maybe, I mean, looking back on it, do you think that there's a productive role that you're playing in trying to bring some moderation and trying to bring opposing sides together 
through topics that are not typically heated. I mean, root words should not bring out the worst instincts in us. No, no, right. they, they shouldn't. So, they, yeah, they so shouldn't. do you find, is there a, do you find that positive rule in your own social media? Um, if I want to say before the, you know, before everything started now, uh, I would find a lot of, how to say, it's not about the how people were interacting with me. That's always the minimal part. But it always made me happy when people were interacting with themselves. It's kind of like, oh, my God, I learned about this. I learned about this. There are certain, let's say, populations uh, that it makes me happy when I see them talking to each other without fighting, without yeah. going too sensitive. I'm going to give you a small example. It's kind of like whenever I see a Greek person and a Turkish person talking to each other, in a like you know in a nice way let's say it's like i hope <laughs> i had 0.001% <laughs> you know yeah uh, right. yeah yeah but but that's it i i don't want to cl like claim that i have anything to do with this but it just makes me happy and i hope it makes them happy so i think that's the benefits of social media in terms of trying to bring out that yeah. i mean it it brought me to you thank I you i actually engaged your contact for that reason and i know that right now i'm going to just assume uh you're being bombarded with messages that come from all sides uh it's impossible maybe to chart an, a, a path of moderation when you're looking at all those comments that come in but i think you're still doing it effectively uh you you mentioned in that video which i want to go back to almost like moderation is a key and it could provide a path forward. And that's a path forward that I don't see myself. I, I don't know how this ends well for Lebanon. I only see bad, worse, and worst. I don't see, I don't see a good ending. The, the one way forward that, that, that I see, see, that, that I'm going to say something, and it, it might anger a lot of people back home, especially, and that, that you know that the Oslo Agreement, I think uh, implementing it as it should be applied by, by giving the Palestinians, you know, the West Bank and Gaza as a sovereign country and all that, I think it might be a solution to a lot of problems in our regions. And I don't, I don't want to say like as in uh, it's a unilateral thing, but what I'm saying, if if Oslo was applied, it might solve a lot in our problem. But again, this is just my personal opinion. And when I say it angers a lot of folks, is that because you know there's a lot of folks who still don't believe in that back home. But from my side, I just kind of like, you know, if Jordan accepted it, if Egypt accepted it, why shouldn't we accept it too? It's kind of like who among all of us doesn't want to live in peace? Of course, this creates a lot of issues about, it's kind of like, what about all the Palestinian refugees outside and all that? And I understand, and it's, so sorry for, you know, uh, yeah, I, that, that's that's what I can say about this without going what I What I get from your content more recently, it's that you're trying to go back to a source of a conflict. So there's this return to what is driving all of this completely insane which is there is a severe injustice to one side of course there and i've is. heard you of course yeah. there is 
and I've heard you, you've, in a way, you mastered it in five minutes, which is not easy. You, you found just, the, I, mean, I think a lot of editing is needed because that's not easy to do. But you take us back to a moment where the core issue is left unresolved. Yeah. And then everything else spills out of control. Yeah. Is that, it, is that really what, I mean, is that the final message, if you will, it, that you have in to- In my make? mind, yes, of course. Yeah. Yes, of course. In that it, it'll all go back to what, well, not just life, life, but it's kind of like life is the consequence of the free, lack of freedom. If there is lack of freedom, this will never change. Why, why would it change? Like in, in what universe are we applying the same standards to people who have freedom versus people who do not have freedom? I'm, I'm thinking it's kind of like if I'm thinking myself, right? It's kind of like there, you know, the times when we were occupied, right? Yeah. How, wasn't there a time where the anger got to a level where you wanted to hurt, you know, and we're just talking about the soldiers back home and all that. And mm -hmm. this is minimal to whatever the Palestinians are going through. So in my mind, it's kind of like, yeah, I might like, if that happened to me, I might do worse. Like, of course. So it's kind of like, if there is no freedom, nothing will change. And by freedom, the people keep saying, it's kind of like, well, you know, uh, Israel got out of Gaza in 2005, whatever it is. Like, yeah, you think that's freedom? It's kind of like, that's, that's how it is when there were, they, anyway, I, let, let's leave it that for that because I might get like a little bit more agitated than this but I'll, I'll take two things from that and you can say what you'd like the, the first is less personal the second one you can pick and choose at your discretion uh, this this type of narration that you're doing and I think it's it's almost like a daily job now do you find in your circles that they're that they're listening to this maybe Dublin's an easier exactly audience. exactly yeah. So you find that I don't want to say echo chamber, but something that it doesn't. You don't feel like you need to push that far. No, no, no. It, it's a, th this is why it's kind of like the main. Uh, I don't want to say opposition, but resistance to what I say might come from people abroad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, people would assume that this would be like. Uh, I'm not going to talk about people in Israel, but I, I'm outside the region. I'm talking, you know, like people in the U.S., people in the U.K. Uh, that's not where it's only located. There is a lot of resistance from surprising other countries. So it's kind of like, like India, for example, as of recent, which is kind of like, okay. Yeah. So how, so this is where it's kind of like, if I'm going to talk, I want to talk in a way without it being automatic rejection, as in listen to me for a minute and then think about it, you know. And I'll push one step further before getting to the second part I, I wanted to fully grasp that video's message were you hinting that one side has gotten close to that ideal and robbed the other side of what they deserve Hell yeah. There's a, yeah there's there's a moment in, in the clip you're talking about it's almost like absolute power would destroy any society the Israelis are not special they've been given that kind of leverage to do what any society would do when there's no constraints. Was that the, that the narrative there? Yeah. That Palestinians don't have that option. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a very, it's a very simple, straightforward uh, video. You know, that's, that's, that's. In my mind it is. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, it is. It is. The second part of the question at your discretion. Uh, did you find yourself 
channeling something like that in Lebanon? Because I know you as somebody who kind of exited the scene. You come in and out, but you've left, you left a while ago. I mean, going back nearly two decades ago, you first traveled out of the country. Yeah, yeah. But I came back. You're, you came back. Yeah. That's true. But you're in Dublin, of all places. Yes. Yeah. But what I mean is that I lived in Lebanon during the when the first Talatrihetkun thing against the like the garbage picking up. I was there. Like I was there for mm. I don't know a decade almost, right? Mm. And it was the first time where I noticed that. By the way, it was that time that was a bit of a wake up moment for me because. I remember there were the people who were mostly online, us, the Lebanese, who were communicating mostly in English. And then there yeah. were the regular folks. And I lost quite a few friends during that period where it felt like as if we weren't, like we were talking just like it, they, these echo chambers, right? So it was then, it was kind of like, yeah, something has to change. Like this isn't, you know, even if you remember the elections for Beirut Madinati, for example, in my mind, it's like everybody I know <laughs> online <laughs> like vote is gonna vote for them because that's what it looks like and then you yeah. know it's like oh, like nobody voted for, well you know relatively speaking so so yeah this is where it's kind of like no this has to change this cannot this form of communication where you're talking with people who believe the same things as you thinking this is how the world runs well no excuse me but not but it's not so this is why we we have to communicate and get exposed to people who think unlike us to be able to I don't know, like narrow down into what we believe in and communicate it to them in a way that they would understand while so removing taking... all the language that is unnecessarily triggering, let's say. Facts so are facts, of, they'll yeah. still be the same. Exactly. So that kind of communication craft coming from a conflict zone and then you're in and out of the country. Now that you're, you're, you're living abroad, yeah. you work abroad, your home is abroad. Yeah. Uh, are those skills you honed abroad? Are you able now to take that distance and sort of simplify things that you wouldn't be able to hear? Because I hope, I don't want to overstep here, but I know the story and you've shared it in other platforms. I mean, you almost died on February 14, 2005. You were within the vicinity of Rafi Hadidi's uh, assassination. And you, I mean, you, you came close. And then I can imagine, you you have two choices there. You either turn to anger and rage, or you channel it in a way that I think is only productive. So is that, I don't know, does that require that kind of distance that you achieved and now you're able to better understand in a way your own, I mean, your own job, I think, kind of requires a bit of patience. Yes. And, and yeah. But, uh, well, I mean, I, I said, I, I don't mind shit mentioning here is that, uh, you know, the patience, that comes from years of teaching little kids math. That's a different thing. It's kind of like when you're teaching, you have to do it. But but distancing yourself and removing that rage, as you know, as I mentioned to you earlier in private, is that I had to go through years of therapy for that, which I'm still going for. It's like for PTSD. And it's not just about what happened during the, you know, 2005, but you know, having our house was bombed like three times, our building was bombed seven times. Yeah. It's not like there's a lot of anger there. It's kind of like, how do you, how do you live your life? Yeah, it's not, not doable if you don't get rid of this anger. So, so yeah, there was a lot of hard work done. And even there, I can't say it's like, I'm, 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 I'm Zen. It's like, even when I was doing the video, I said, 
I wanted to be as, you know, detached as possible. But there were at least two times where I had to pause and redo it because anytime I mentioned the uh, forced removal of 1.1 million Gazans, I like right now, I'm just like, I, yeah, like you choke up. So it's kind of like, it's hard work to remove that much emotion from our speech when it comes to the talking. So, yeah. I think it's personally, I think it's difficult. I mean, you, yeah. your journey is, 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 it's a personal one and you're overcoming something which has impacted you on a, on a personal individual level. I think it's difficult to do this anywhere on the planet right now, trying to frame something in a way that's digestible and really giving communication its chance. I'll ask you one more question though about language and its abuse. Yes. Are, are, you, are you finding a way, to, you said triggering earlier, you didn't want to use words that trigger. Yeah. If it's maybe sounds stupid, but are these key words like, are they, are they, are they subjective words? Are they things that are thrown around, thrown around stupidly on the news? Like, could you give examples of those choice words? Well, uh, yeah, this, so this, uh, way of, let's say, I don't want to say maybe abuse, but it's kind of like overuse of a mm. certain word where it becomes a triggering has been going on in mostly Anglophone countries, you know, mm. it has nothing to do with the war. It's, let's say, even talking about the word colonizer, right? So right. initially yeah. colonizer meant a certain things. Now you see people very comfortable with calling people, you're colonizing my food, you're colonizing my TV uh, news. So, some, something like that. It's it's become way it's kind of like more accusatory as as opposed to describing something. It's 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 ridiculous, you know. It's so in in my mind, it's kind of like this whole uh, making the language academic more than it is normal. It, it's weird and it's seeping to our language back home. By the way. Because there is a lot of influence from whatever's going on in the U.S., not not just in Lebanon, but even even in Ireland. So, for example, I'm going to give you an example. Yeah. So, the patriarchy, right? So, the system of patriarchy. It had a name in Arabic, which is uh, the expression "nizam al-abawi." It it's explanatory. It says what it is. But apparently, that was enough. That wasn't enough. So that a few years ago, now we have to import the word as is and use the word patriarchy to yeah. talk about the patriarchy. Uh, a word like, uh, let's say, gender, right? The word gender, we don't have it in Arabic. So it got imported as janbar, you know? So my idea right. is that the way words, like, uh, how, how, do you, how do you make people in Lebanon reject a word, bring a foreign word, and force them to use it? as opposed to make something local. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by triggering language uh, words, it's not just about the, it's not just about, you know, uh, the complicated stuff like colonizer and stuff like that, but even word like, like gender and stuff like that. And this should not be the case. So that's an imagine. A, yeah. yeah. So that's on the other side, meaning you, you find in your, let's say your, your own communication that there's a, a disconnect in context almost. Yep. That these are words that don't carry the same kind of weight given yes. where we are. That's interesting. So you're able to find where there's gaps in communication, but for otherwise, what sounds like well-intentioned ideas. Yeah, it's well, not that yes. they're coming from a bad place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, there isn't any. Uh, I'm not doing a, uh, an active exercise in doing this. In my mind, mm. 
So I went to I went to college and I'm speaking English right now and all that, like I said. But what if I'm communicating with my father who does not speak English? I mean, he understands yeah. a little bit, but I I want to say the words to him in Arabic. I'm going to use the language he uses. Like he, what we would call from English, a blue collar. He was a fireman, right? It's kind of like, like there's a specific language where if I use language that's a little bit academic, it's like, who the, who the hell do you think you are? That kind of thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. So in my mind, it's like... It's, it's humbling. It's humbling. It, it, yeah. And it, as it should yeah. be, as it should be, it's kind of like I have to use language that is the language of the common people everywhere. I don't want to talk like someone who has a PhD. Like this is, to me, this is embarrassing where I understand some some of the anti-intellectualism or anti-elitism that happens because a lot of these folks are condescending in their language. And I don't like condescension that way. Mm. So it's almost like you're finding assumptions built in that yeah. could be, yeah, that's interesting. But you know, that, that this academic world of, it, you're reminding me sort of in a funny way of Bernard Khoury. I spoke okay. to him a few months ago on an MTV. Yeah. And he talked about his interaction with language too. It's it's not the same subject, but he talked about his discomfort when everything is flattened to the point that there's no context whatsoever. And that sounds to me more like ideology than communication. So, yeah. So is that your battle in a way trying to combat what are false assumptions? trying to give context to language yes because i think that is the backbone of your of your of your at least your social media this sort of language that i do not like it's not because the word themselves also it's not because of the elitism but what bothers me a little bit is that because there's a little bit of uh how to say these words and the concepts are traveling from places to other places yeah. Yeah. where it's almost as if we're required to speak the same the same way exactly yeah and right. this specificity for each language where it's removed it bothers me I, I'll, I'll give one example it might be a little bit controversial but for example uh, in Irish in, in the Irish language uh, you know when we talk about people whether what race they are white black something like that in Irish, there is no concept of black person because uh, the black folks would have been called, uh, a black person would have been called a blue man. Oh. And that blue is not meant in any shape or form as something bad mm. because it was related to one rejecting the term black man because that means the devil and they don't want to call any people the devils. And two is because the way color it, uh, uh, is, uh, the way color is represented in each language. The blue meant either the blue shimmer on the black hair or oh. the blue shimmer of the, you know, yeah. like a lot of things, right? Yeah. So that's in Irish. That was the term. It's a beautiful term, I think. Next came in how English started to imposing the whole thing. And now they have, I'm not going to say it in Irish, but they translated the term people of color or person of color, which is a completely Anglophone term that has nothing to do yeah. with Irish or Ireland or the concept of it into Irish. So this forced homogeneity of language across different cultures is unnecessary and it needs to be fought in my mind. I've heard you even express it when it comes, it's almost like a bridge between language and politics sometimes. Absolutely. Pure, purity 
in language is also counterproductive. And dialects disappear for that reason. Yes. It's almost like languages that we assume there's so many languages that went extinct for that reason. And that's that's that is politics, yes. less linguistic uh, lexicon and if yeah. I may break my own rule, I'm trying not to say it's not like sure. use the academic word. But what I do not like is linguistic imperialism and cultural imperialism. In 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 that sense, you know, right. it's kind of like where uh, eventually we would lose this uh, unique nature of each language and the way it expresses itself, just to, you know, take in words that have no place in this. Anyway, one one final question, flipping what we just said on its head. Yes, is there any other way to bring care to the Palestinian cause without making other people feel like it's part of their life too? Because I think we're, we're talking about the opposite now. Okay. I, it's almost like, is there any, other than what we do, how, how, okay. how would you, yeah. It, uh, uh, it's a bit difficult to answer because again, these are my own assumptions. Sure, people course. might not believe them. Um, what people talk online, what people consider activism or slacktivism, in other words, <laughs> in, in my mind, this doesn't do anything. As in someone, me talking, like, who, who am I? Like, how is it going to do any difference? It doesn't. Because in my mind, the only way that can make a difference, which is how I linked my video to a fundraiser for the UN for the food program. Like, this is the only way that would, right. like, is yeah. actual. The other thing is, forget about all the us people online. You know, there are journalists doing their job, uh, bringing the, you know, from, from bringing stories from there instead of us people carping. It's like, look at what's happening. It's like, yeah, and that's not going to do anything unless it's linked with something that actually makes sense. Like, like imagine someone in Gaza, what? Like, they're going to watch my video and it's like, oh, thank God. That makes me feel so much better. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. like, you know, look, you're, you're, uh, you're an, I mean, I'm a no one that way. So at least we can link it to something yeah. where, I, I don't know if I'm making any sense. No, you're making any sense, but I meant, I meant it actually more like when you're not, mm -hmm, uh, cultural imperialism, was that the phrase? Yeah. Okay. Are, are we, are we doing something wrong when we're trying to, completely connect the Palestinian cause to other stories. Let me give you an example. I don't want to be too hard on anyone without, uh, but I don't want to be unfair, but I don't know if you saw this. It was, I think it was on Twitter, Greta Thunberg and the climate change. Yeah. Okay. So this, yeah, yeah. This is where I was going in uh, four Palestinian flags, four yeah. different slogans, maybe three of them had actually there was only one, I think, that was sort of on point. The other three were latching causes to the Palestinian cause. It, yeah. yeah, so this is where I was, yeah, th that to me is, is a, a bad way of explaining what's happening. Uh, no, I, yeah, I understand what you mean. And yeah, I think it does a disservice to the Palestinian cause, let's say, in my yeah. mind, because A, it's kind of like if you're bringing another, let's say, global warming, it's kind of like, yeah. leave that behind. Like, what, like, I would want the people who don't think global warming exists to support, yeah. you know, the Palestinians as opposed to being just by seeing Grant and Farnberg that being turned off. 
But yeah, I understand the whole idea about latching on to different causes and it doing a disservice, which unfortunately that tends to happen a bit in the, in some circles, let's say, where it's like, oh, we have this cause and this cause. It's like, for the love of God, just focus on one thing just to be able to do what you want to do. Different people, different universes. Greta Thunberg, that photo, and then your five-minute sort of step-by-step -step simplification. I, I would rather spend five minutes listening uh, to you, you offering you. those facts than wanting, wanting to think that every cause is the thank same. I, I, yeah, so that's credit to you, Fed. Thank you. I think, honestly, I, I, I know I'm overstepping here, but because you're full of positive energy online, even when you're sort of showing us why late scripts began from right to left, with almost like a hammer and chisel, and you're so positive, you're smiling, you're delivering uh, history with Thank a you. breath of fresh air. I know, I can tell when it's emotionally exhausting, and you found a way to break down, to simplify in a principled way the Palestinian-Israeli mess while giving justice and honor and dignity to the Palestinians. I thought you did it poetically, Thank you. and it was on point. And was it Kerning Cultures, the Lebanon uh, yes. episode? Anyone, anyone that wants to check out what you did, which I, I think is crazy. You went to all the Lebanons in the US, you found them. And then you went back and planted trees. Yeah. Cedar trees, yeah. So that's that's quite a mission and you accomplished it. So thanks, Fadi. I'll put this on thank the podcast later with some Thank you, thank you very much. Thank Good night. you. Take Cheers, care. Good night. Good night. Cheers.